0: Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we have the opportunity to take up this great topic of witness. Now, every Monday up to this point, since we have started our new programming and our new formatting, I have had a guest with me. This Monday is the first Monday that I am going to have to fly solo. My guest was unable to join me this Monday. So what I thought we could do is uh, take up some subject matter that comes to us from the movie, uh, God is Not Dead. I have been pulled now aside on a number of occasions uh, over the last few weeks on this subject matter, so I thought it would be good to take it up here in, in more detail on the radio and put it within the context of this call we have to witness to our faith, especially when it is most challenging, especially when we are going against the current, and the tide of the time. Certainly in the year 2014, there are a lot of currents going against the spirit of truth. And remember what Paul says, huh? You have the spirit of the world going against the spirit of truth, the spirit of Christ. The Greek translation of world, schema, agenda, that the world is scheming, the adversary, Satan, is scheming, using elements of the world to go against uh, the spirit of Jesus Christ and the spirit of truth. So, yeah, we t- when we talk about the current against truth, the current against Christ, we have plenty of opportunities today to go against that current and bearing witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. So, uh, again, God is not dead. What can we say about this movie? Well, off the top, the movie itself is a response to uh, the rise of atheism that we saw in the, uh, I don't know what, year 2004, 2005, with the works that come to us from Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, and, and others. Uh, the God Delusion, God is Not Great, The Portal Atheist, Religious, all of these books that were really impacting a lot of people. These were New York Times bestsellers that were having a huge impact upon the way we were thinking about God. And so, the movie itself, God is Not Dead, in many ways is a response to that swell and rise in atheism. And so, with that, the movie. A number of things that I would like to talk about, and if you haven't seen the movie, I'm not going to spoil the movie for you, per se, but we are going to talk about the movie. I'm not going to give you the ending. How's that? The movie. The setting. Well, it's at a university, right? And I think this is really important because when you talk about the likes of a Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and so many others, um, they were really having an impact upon American popular culture because they were going to the colleges, they were going to the university setting and debating... Uh, maybe some Christian apologists or professors, and they know their science, so if these professors were not versed in how to debate, if they were not versed in rhetoric, if they were not versed in the science they were, and most importantly, if they if they did not call upon the Holy Spirit, many were saying in these debates that Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, again, and and Richard Dawkins, they were from a bird's-eye view, winning these debates, okay? Um, influencing a lot of people. Uh, so, the university setting was very important to the movie because of what's happening at the university today. With that, the lead character is a young man who, for all intents and purposes, is a devout Christian. Huh? He, You can clearly tell that he's literally wearing his faith on his sleeves, but a shirt he was wearing, um, the necklace he had on, Um, the necklace with the cross. So that was clear. He's a devout Christian. Uh, Well, he goes to his first philosophy class, and the professor walks in, and his opening lecture is why God does not exist. And so he offers up the reasoning that is behind atheism. And he does something really interesting. If you haven't watched the movie, what he does is he he asks the students to write on a piece of paper— God is dead, and then sign it because, from his vantage point, he doesn't even want to waste time debating the existence of God. It's so evident, it's so clear. Just sign the paper and let's move on to other things. Well, this devout Christian who's the lead character and lead protagonist in this movie, you know, his conscience is speaking to him. He cannot sign a paper that says God is dead. No. So as the professor, this atheistic professor, is collecting all of these signed sheets, he gets to this young man, and he says, do you have a problem? And he just simply says, I can't do it. So to make a long story short, what they do is they set up a debate. Well, more of, a, uh, more of an opportunity, better said, for him to speak to the existence of God. So the professor gives him three 20-minute sessions to convince the students That God indeed is alive and well, and there's proofs out there, evidence out there, to show that God indeed exists. So, essentially, it was set up like that of a courtroom, where you had a plaintiff, a defendant, and a jury, okay? And the jury was the classroom, the students, okay? And in the end, they were going to decide on whether or not God existed. And moreover, whether he was going to pass the class, because if he failed, if after the three 20-minute sessions he had in front of the class, if they were not convinced that God did not exist, then he was going to fail the class, more or less. So, he's given these three 20-minute sessions to prove to the class that God exists. Now, that certainly is what drives the movie, But I want to talk about the movie for another reason. We'll get back to that. And that's these other storylines that are in the background. And in each storyline, from one student to the next, from one wife to the next, from one mother to the next, all of these stories, of course, converge in the end, but I won't ruin it for you. (laughs) All of them are made to sacrifice a relationship for Jesus Christ. And for me... That was most telling. Most telling to the whole movie itself, God is not dead. Because if God is not dead, if it was just about the existence of God based upon a handful of proofs, okay, fair enough, good movie, I like it, let's move on. No, it wasn't about that. The movie God is Not Dead has a whole lot more to do with the willingness to sacrifice those closest relationships that we have for the sake of Christ, especially if those closest to us do not accept Jesus Christ in their lives, right? What does Jesus Christ himself say? I have not come to bring peace, but a sword between you and your mother, you and your father, you and the person who is closest to you, if they do not accept me. I know that is A most difficult verse for many of us, if not for all of us. But what is Jesus saying in that moment? He is saying this, that I must be first. Remember what I have talked about in the past, and I probably take it up once a week. If we don't understand that principle, God first, then we will fail in our witness to our faith. Remember the Ten Commandments. In the first three commandments, it's about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and what that looks like in its worship, in its honor, in its integrity. And out from that, in the subsequent seven commandments, what do you have? Well, how to love neighbor out from your love for God, right? And this is the same wisdom, the same genius that you have in the Beatitudes. Be poor in God, huh? be poor in God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then in the subsequent beatitudes, you have what a life of virtue ought to look like in light. In light of the person who is poor in God, who relies upon God for anything and everything. Remember that most salient truth that comes to us from that first beatitude in Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, lung, breath. The essence of that verse is long for God the same way your lungs long for air. And remember, if you had no air, then you would die. If you were without God spiritually, you will die. This is what our Lord wants us to see. That's how important that first beatitude is. It is no mistake that our Lord opens up his whole Sermon on the Mount with that beatitude. And it is interesting Christ did not say, blessed are those who serve the poor, blessed are those who give alms, blessed are those who did this and that. No. He first said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The real wisdom behind the Sermon on the Mount and specifically the first beatitude can be found not in so much what he said, but what he didn't say, especially for our church today. Because in the end, before we give to the poor, before we give alms, before we do these things, we must first be poor in God. Because by being poor in God, God will then form and inform what giving to the poor and giving alms and all those other things ought to look like. Essentially, he says to us within that context, give till it hurts. Don't give for the sake of giving, and it's your Catholic and Christian duty to give. Give because you love. Give because you desire to give. And you can only be in that kind of space if you are first poor in God, reliant upon His grace for all things. So, God first. God first. And this runs itself like a golden thread throughout the movie, God is not dead. Just not in the classroom and in those presentations and that final debate between he and the professor. No, but in all these other storylines where you had one character after another being made to sacrifice a very important relationship in their life for the sake of Jesus Christ. And again, what does Christ himself tell us in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are you who are persecuted in my name. huh? Blessed are you who call you names because of the name Jesus Christ. This, I believe, while it wasn't the key storyline, because certainly very much of the movie is about what's happened in the classroom, It was a very important storyline nonetheless, the importance of God first in our relationships. Now, all of that being said, back to the classroom. The lead character, this young man who was a devout Christian, he certainly did a beautiful job of presenting these proofs of the evidence and existence of God. He did a great job. And he took up the question of freedom, by the way. I love that that question and or statement, well, if there's a God, (laughs) then why is there evil? And he took up uh, the principle of freedom. And remember, as we've talked about it here on this radio program, God is love. Love never coerces. Love never imposes. Love never forces. It must always be freely given away, right? Freedom is the first principle to love, because without it, then it doesn't have the essence of what it's about, which is the gift of the heart. How does the gift of the heart come into play if we are forcing someone to do something for us? Huh? So freedom must be the first principle. Because out from the freedom of one choosing to, to love, can we better understand the question of evil? Why? God is not going to impose He's given this gift to us, and we call it free will. So we freely choose either sin or grace, vice or virtue. You choose one or the other. There is evil in the world, not because of God, but because of man. And we could even say provocatively, there is evil in the world because God is love. We claim love to be the problem, But let's flip this upside down a little bit. It's because of love that there's evil in the world. Because love demands freedom. And more or less, this is what the movie takes up in his last presentation of the existence of God. Now, why does a Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, and Sam Harris have a problem with this? Or maybe they can't identify with this? Well... What have we talked about before? It is because of the absence of love that now the God who is love makes no sense. And often that absence of love comes in the form of maybe some sort of abuse, huh? Whether it be physical abuse, psychological abuse, whatever kind of abuse it may be, there's an absence of love in that abuse. So what happens and it happened to Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, and these men that I've been talking about, is (laughs) at a very young age, all of these men, and in most cases, most atheists, have experienced a profound absence of love that has left, for all intents and purposes, a very deep wound. Now, in some cases, and this is what the movie takes up, it's just not an absence of love, but an absence of understanding how God works in the case of of the uh, professor in the movie his mother who is a devout christian died when he was young of of cancer and that's discussed pretty early on so i'm not spoiling that per se okay but this is an exchange that the professor has with the uh, young man who's a devout christian this lead character who he's debating in the classroom and so he says ultimately you know what kind of god takes a mother away from his 12-year-old son and In light of this, let us always remember that seminal truth that comes to us from the cross. huh? And and this would be my response to any of that kind of rhetoric, but always a response in compassion, a response in reverence, and a a response in gentleness. These are the virtues that we espouse to, these, these are the virtues that we espouse to as Paul passes them on to us. That the cross teaches us tells us, reminds us that there isn't anything, there isn't anything that he himself has not experienced that we ourselves are going through. Let us remember that the Roman crucifixion was the most brutal kind of death known to man. Eusebius talks about this, uh, the great church historian, as well as Josephus the first century Jewish historian, this most brutal kind of death that the Romans would put these men through and Christ himself through. So there's never a time in our life where we can say to God, you don't understand. There's never a time in our life where we can go to God and say to God, you don't get it, right? Now, Do we have the right in our anguish and in our emotion to cry out to him? Yes. And this he teaches. How? Because he himself does it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This profound anguish, this profound agony. We have the right to cry. But what we must remember is that our cry ought to be the most profound prayer. Prayer is conversation with God in its simplest definition. Well, if we are going to God, and it's mano y mano, you and God, me and God, and we have it out with Him, that's okay. It's actually a form of prayer. But it's only a form of prayer if you are listening. If you hand it to God, if you give it to God because of something that has happened in your life, then let Him respond then listen. And you do so by opening up scripture. And when you go to the cross, what you find is the answer. When you go to the cross, what you find out of your despair is hope. Because you and I both know, as people of faith, that on the other side of that cross is the resurrection. Life everlasting. And sometimes, yes, that is a most severe mercy for us to go through. Oh, Lord, this exile that I am in, we say. And he says to us what he said to the Israelites. You are an exile, but your dreams will be fulfilled. And you know, mindful of this, my friends, mindful of this, we should have rest. Rest in the bosom and heart of God. Now, God is not dead. The professor, he experienced anguish. And he turned on God. And he set out to take everyone down with him. That's the thing. You know, I was talking in the beginning about how in this opening assignment, he had all the students write on a paper that God is dead and sign their name. It wasn't so much because... He didn't want to waste time debating the existence of God. It had a lot more to do with the reality that misery loves company. And how dare that professor or any professor that would do that in any one college classroom. The university setting and the classroom setting is about truth. It is not always about what we think we know. It is about discovering what we ought to know truth is never reduced to relativism and subjectivism. It always opens itself up to what is objective. And what is objective isn't arbitrary, but something to be discovered. And the classroom always has to be open to this. Now, you might be saying, well, it's just a movie. Well, no. (laughs) It's, It's a movie that is portraying reality across this country right now. In fact, the movie itself and its and its uh, extended features really gets into that its bonus features really gets into what's happening in the college and university setting today so all very relevant now as it relates to kind of the final showdown between the lead character and the professor they get into the question of absolutes specifically moral absolutes and in fact it was the professor who says in a very demeaning way uh, to the uh, student. So what are you going to do now? What, start talking about moral absolutes? <laughs> he says, yeah, well, let's let's talk about moral absolutes. And of course, the professor carries on about the point that we can't talk about moral absolutes. And we've talked about this point on the radio program as well. Once you posit the statement, there's no such thing as absolute truth. What you've done is established an absolute truth, Right someone says to you, well, stop pontificating. Well, what are you doing? You're pontificating by saying, stop pontificating. In essence, what's happening is you are establishing a definitive truth, a definitive right that you have to speak about some sort of truth that you espouse towards. In this case, if you don't believe in God, it is that the God does not exist, that God does not exist definitively, which in your mind is an absolute truth. This is why, my dear friends, we need to espouse towards reason and logic. Logic is the instrument to reason, and reason is a means by which we can better understand truth. Huh? Faith is also a way of knowing. We have talked about this, certainly, but so is reason. But I believe to be what is so important for us, and certainly this is what is highlighted in the movie, is how we can apply logic in such a way where we can get... That person on the other side of our debate thinking more critically about what they're saying. Respond to the question with a question, huh? Respond to a question with a question. Make sure that the person who is challenging you or questioning you is taking ownership of what they're saying. And you can do so by asking a question with a question. This kind of reasoning is what our Lord teaches us. A QA? No, a Q and Q. Because by way of the Q&Q, we can establish the truth that is being asserted. And this is very important in any setting. And this is what happens in the movie. And I loved the point in the movie towards the end of the debate. He challenges the professor, this, this lead character, this freshman, this lowly freshman, as the professor puts it. Who are you, this lowly freshman? This lowly freshman challenges the professor and he says, What did God do to you? What did God do to you? And then the professor speaks to what happened when he was young. And he recognized God. And then, in a beautiful moment, this freshman in the movie says, Well, by recognizing God, God exists. Huh. So... He he goes to the heart of it. He gets behind it. Remember what I've already talked about as it relates to the importance of seeing all of these debates within the much larger picture of how all of these men who who say they're atheists are actually wounded men and women out there. There's plenty of women who, who are riding on atheism as well. It only bespeaks a brokenness, a woundedness. And not that we judge the woundedness. No. But we have to call upon the Holy Spirit and call upon God's grace and God's goodness to give us the wisdom and understanding and how to work through and navigate the muck and mire of all of those debates so you can go and get to the heart of it, the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is always brokenness. Now, not that the debate itself, as it relates to reason, and all of the wonderful invitations that we can provide for anyone we are talking to in the context of atheism and reasons to believe in God. (laughs) Giving reason is a good thing. Again, this is what 1 Peter 3 talks about. Give reasons for the hope that is inside of you. Huh? Giving reasons, giving invitations and proofs into the existence of God, that's a fine thing. But it's not the end. Huh? It's only a means to an end. And that end is conversion. Conversion of mind? Yes, mind and heart. That's what's at stake, huh? That's what's at stake. And this is realized in the movie. And by way of postscript, there's one last point to be had from this movie. And I believe this to be a very salient point for us. Something that we can learn from. This lead character, he has been given by the professor three 20 minute sessions. It is only in that last 20 minute presentation that things really begin to advance. Why? Because the professor comes down to him and they actually begin to debate. We've talked about the importance of the dialogue before. Dialogos. Okay. Where there is an actual conversation. In that Dialogos, you can really enter into the question-question dynamic, and when needed, the question-answer dynamic. And when you have that, then you discover truth. When the rubber meets the road, then you begin to see things for what they are, or people for who they are. This is why today, you know, politically speaking, we have these quote-unquote debates, which is silly, because all you have is a, a monitor advancing the conversation between your two politicians the politicians rarely actually speak to one another it's not a debate we have slipped into this trap thinking we were watching a debate when all they are doing is positing why they believe what they believe and how they can advance uh, their local community or if it's a presidential debate the country when they never actually debate see the problem is the politicians are never made to give ownership for what they are saying that's a problem because the truth itself can never fully come to the surface. So we have to rediscover the importance of what a debate is all about. And certainly this is what the movie provides for us in that last scene. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.